Well, hey, uh, again, if you didn't catch, uh, today is what we're calling Welcome Home Sunday. It's really just a time for you and maybe uh, a friend or someone you've never introduced to church before, or at least the center church, uh, to be together and to enjoy the feeling of welcome home. Everyone likes a good welcome home party, especially when it's the weekend. Now, I don't know if you are like me, but every single week, and I'm a pastor, so it's maybe a little weird for me to say this, but I'm just going to be honest with you, is that every single week, what I look forward to the most is the weekend. I, I don't know why that is. Maybe you have that same experience. But it's funny that we have all these names for everything except the actual week in which we spend most of it. So uh, some of you may be familiar with the term the Sunday scaries. They're like, oh no, I'm terrified that Monday's coming. I'm scared of that. You may have heard that. Maybe you've used the phrase, man, I just wish I could get over the Monday blues. Like, man, and Tuesday doesn't have a name, I don't think, so I'm skipping that one. But Wednesday, if you're in school, especially you remember is hump day. It's this weird thing in which we celebrate camels. I got that wrong in high school. I just wanted to let you know. I was like, I don't understand this holiday. If you're like, it's Wednesday, you dummy. I was like, oh, I get it now. And so you have the advantage. If you didn't know, now you know, and you don't have to be embarrassed like I was. Wednesday, and then you go on to Thursday. And I want to show you a meme, actually, I stumbled across on Facebook about Thursday. It's Thursday, or is it like to call it day four of the hostage situation? Like, some of your work feels like that, I bet. Some of your jobs probably feel like that. And then we've got TJIF, which is, thank God, it's Friday. It's like, yes, I've arrived. Like, I made it through another week. But did you know that 70% of American workers are actually, on a weekly basis, dissatisfied with their job? 70%. So it's a good chance that most of you in this room have some level, even on a Monday, or especially on a Monday, of dissatisfaction with your work. I mean, often maybe your work feels like it doesn't really have a purpose. Maybe your work doesn't really feel like it's contributing even to your family. Maybe the job you do doesn't seem to have like a societal impact like you wish it did. And here's what I found out is that many people have a job, but not everybody has a purpose. Many people do something every week of their lives over and over and over again, some for decades, some for 40, 50 years, and they retire, and at the end of their working life, they never really feel like, man, my job had some purpose. It gave me life. It gave me energy. It gave me motivation to live and to do the things that I really, in the deep parts of my soul, want to do and the kind of person that I wanted to become. And so some of us play that out by saying, okay, well, my job doesn't feel like it's got a lot of purpose right now, so I'm going to get a different job. I'm going to go somewhere else and do something different. Or I'm not making enough money to feel like I can really live out my purpose, whatever that is for you. And so you keep working hard at the job you have, and you go for the promotions, and you do all the extracurricular things at your work so that you can get moved up in the specific company Maybe others of you said, well, I don't really feel like this job has any purpose, so I'm not really going to try. Like, I, I maybe work at Burger King, and it's like, how does connecting buffalo sauce and fries together give anyone, like, a deep sense of purpose? And so instead of giving our all or giving 100%, instead of doing all those things, we decide, well, I'm maybe just going to kind of underperform. Maybe I won't show up on time. Maybe I'll show up late and, and no one's going to notice because no one really cares. And at the court, none of us feel like that job maybe has a purpose. And if you dig deeper in our lives and in my life too, maybe there's seasons even in your job in which you felt frustrated. Maybe you felt like you were becoming burnt out. 
Maybe it felt like because your job was so devoid of real purpose, that's like, why am I even doing this? It, wouldn't it just be easier to find something else or to, to get away or to just keep working for the next vacation? And some people, even at work, report every time they walk into work, there's a sense of depression that comes over them. Maybe there's conflict in the workplace. Maybe it's just because it's not connected to purpose. But I've found so many people, maybe like you felt, have a job but don't have a purpose, don't have a reason to live. And all of us know that we've thought about this question. Maybe even some of you said it out loud. Maybe some of you prayed this or shared it with a close friend, but asked the question, wasn't I created for something more? Wasn't I created for a purpose? Like even in my job right now, wasn't I created for something bigger? Does God have more for me? And maybe you don't follow Jesus in this room. And so you're maybe even asking that question of what is life's purpose? But for those of us who follow Jesus, our goal is to figure out what is God's purpose for me? What has he built me to do? How has he uniquely wired me in the inside of who I am and the outside of what I can do to actually accomplish his purpose in the world? Well, I love the scriptures because every time you go to them, you find a character who can identify with those types of struggles. And this whole Zero Face series, which is a series unpacking our vision of seeing zero lives unchanged by Jesus in our day and age, in our family, in our neighborhood, in our community, and eventually our world. That's what we're after. And so in this series, we've been following a guy named Elijah. Now, Elijah's story is interesting, and last week we talked about some interesting things that took place with Elijah, and it had to do with earthquakes and whispers, not careless whisper, but other whispers of God speaking to him even in a hard season. And this is kind of the end of Elijah's story right here. As we're reading in 1 Kings 19, we kind of get to this place in which there's a a baton toss, a handoff, if you will, of Elijah's prophetic ministry. And a prophet was someone who called out injustice and idolatry among God's people and said, this is not right, and this is the way God wants us to live. He's got a purpose for us, and we're not currently living into that purpose. That was Elijah's goal. And so he passes the baton, and I would encourage you to pull out your Bibles or even a phone or some kind of device to track with these verses because you're going to learn things that maybe you've never seen before in the Scriptures. And so in 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 19... You may have the subheading on your Bible like I do, the call of Elisha. And so in verse 19, this is what we read. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. There's a couple things that you and I can identify about work and purpose and finding satisfaction in the everyday of our lives, even on the Mondays of our life. Maybe there's seasons for you that feel like Monday over and over and over again. And the hope for you is that God wants to give you a purpose even in the midst of that. And very similarly, this is Elisha's story. See, Elisha was a young guy, but he had a great job. And we know that because he's doing manual labor, but he's doing it on a massive piece of property. property. 
If your family needed 12 yoke of oxen just to plow your land, you were doing well. In an agricultural society, Elisha's family was extremely powerful and extremely wealthy. We know this because you see that he goes back eventually to his family and they celebrate, but they've got plowing equipment, they've got oxen, they've got the means to pull off a great banquet. And when Elisha goes back, he has a great job and coming from a wealthy family, but he lacks one thing. And it's the thing you and I often find that escapes us, even in our work. It's purpose. Elisha just doesn't have a purpose. He's got a great job. He's doing well by all of society's standards, yet doesn't really have a purpose. Doesn't have something yet to give his life unto. And so in verse 19, you see something that happens. If you've got your scriptures, you're going to want to watch this. So Elijah goes from the place he was. This is right after the story we read last week. He's plowing the 12 yoke of oxen. He himself driving the 12th pair, and then something odd happens. Now, I don't know what your home, like is, home life is like, but again, this has never happened to me. Elijah walks up to Elisha and kind of throws his coat on top of him. And if you're watching this from afar, be like, what is happening? Like, is this a magic trick? I'm not sure what's going on. But this prophet, looking wild from the caves, eating honey, probably smells like axe, Probably not. Like he brings up this, this cloak, this mantle, if you will, and throws it on Elisha, giving him a sense of purpose. And this is in ancient times. Prophets would do this to say, you know what? I've got a purpose. And as a prophet, Elijah lived out that purpose to confront idolatry and to confront injustice and bring people back to God's way. He does the same thing for Elisha, though. He says, Elisha, you've got a great job. You're in a wealthy family but you lack the most important thing about your life and its purpose. He throws this cloak, kind of a mantle, a symbolism, if you will, of God saying, I'm transferring this prophetic call from my life to your life to give you a purpose. And here's kind of my best definition of purpose. As you search the scriptures, you find these, these things both playing together when it comes to this whole theology or idea of purpose, and that's what it is. Purpose is where your gifts and God's passions align. Let me say that one more time. Purpose is where your gifts, the things that God has given you, the abilities or maybe even the innate sense of how to do things with certain projects or even people, all of those things are your gifts, maybe even your spiritual gifts, the the things that the Holy Spirit has done in you, but it's where your gifts and God's passions for justice, for holiness, for compassion, for widows and orphans, for broken, for marginalized people, for the unlovable, all those things where your gifts and God's passions align together. Now, I didn't ask if I can do this, but I'm just going to do it. I need to borrow your guitar for one second. Just want to do some extra worship. I know you really missed that. Just kidding. I'm going to play this, but I want to show you something. So I'm just going to, for example, show you that back when I was 13, I, uh, my dad walked into our house with a guitar, very similar to this, and I was so excited. Have you ever like had one of those gifts at Christmas where you open, it's like, my world has changed, like everything is different, or maybe it's like an anniversary gift or a birthday present, someone just picks out exactly what you want, well, this is what I wanted. 
Because I had friends who played guitar or worship leaders, and they were in the church and just were incredible. I looked up to them and even idolized them a little bit. And so I was like, well, I know how to be a good worship leader. I just need one of these. Like, if you put this in my hand, I will magically transform into a Brendan clone. And I thought it was really cool today that my uh, twin was playing bass as well. Um, But what's cool about this is as you pick up a guitar, you can kind of tell how much a person knows about a guitar by how they hold it. You ever notice this? If you're a musician, you get it. You're like, ooh, that's not how that goes. Kind of like you're just drive, getting driven nuts right now that I'm holding this the wrong way. And so my dad walks in. I'm 13 years old, and he gives me this guitar. It's kind of like a, a real basic, very, uh, very cheap kind of practice guitar, and he puts it in my hand. And immediately I grab it and do. I'm like, I do it just like this. I'm like, I'm right-handed, so naturally I'm just supposed to figure it out. And it felt really awkward. He's like, no, 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 you got to play it like this. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Thanks, Dad. That's the best thing you ever taught me. And so I put it in my hands. I put it in my hands. Sorry, Dad. I put it in my hands, and I figured out really quickly I didn't really know how to play guitar. I don't know if you've had that experience with an instrument, but I kind of put in my hands and I was like, uh, trying to figure it out. Again, you can tell by how skilled someone is based on how they try to play the guitar. I had no skills whatsoever, but I'd seen people, so I kind of like put my hands like that and it just, it sounded so good. Like I just, I couldn't really figure it out. And I learned something about the guitar that I think applies to purpose, is that I had to really press in to learn how to play the guitar. And one week later, I've got calluses, my fingers are kind of sore, I'm just not used to the pressure it takes to pull off a great chord. So when I finally figured out how to play a chord, I was like, that's amazing, like it's so easy. But I had to learn the correct pressure. I think that's what many of us miss even when it comes to purpose. See, my gifts, think of my gifts as my hands, the things I can do, the ways God has built me and equipped me and created me with God's passion. Think of this as God's passion. So I sat down, and I had, I had gifts. I kind of knew my way around a little bit, but I was very much a rookie when it came to the guitar. And so it was kind of a struggle for me. But as soon as I kept that, figuring out how do I align my fingers in the right way, how do I learn how to strum a guitar, how do I learn how to do all these things, I finally figured out what it was like to hear good music come out of the guitar, I learned what it meant to really fulfill what it meant to be a guitar player, musician. And so I would learn to play, and I loved it. Played for many years and still enjoy getting to play here and there. But it wasn't until I really figured out how to align my fingers and apply the right pressure over time again and again and again to figure out what it meant to really hear some good music, some actual guitar music. Thank you, Brendan. And so what's interesting to me about the guitar, I think, like I said, also applies to purpose. When, when you line those things up, when you line up your gifts, what God has given you, maybe even just your hands. Some of you are woodworkers and builders and carpenters, and you could do things with your hands that are part of your gift. Others of you, incredible skill with people. People are kind of magnetized to you when you walk in a room. That's your gift. Maybe you have a musical ability or a, a vocal ability. That may be your gift. Maybe you're really good with numbers and finance and, and sales and figuring out how to get people the best deal and really caring for a customer. Maybe that's your gift. But until that gift is aligned with God's passion, you're not yet fulfilling your purpose. So let's jump back to Elisha's story in verse 20. We see something else happen. Elisha then left his oxen, leaving his job essentially behind. 
and he ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Now, it's kind of a peculiar question, right? It's kind of like, man, he just wants to say bye to mom and dad. Like, why, why are you giving Elisha such trouble? Like, what's the problem? But what he's, he's challenging Elisha, saying, is your purpose wrapped up in your family's wealth and position and status, or is your purpose wrapped up in what God has for you? It reminds me of Luke 9. In chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus calls disciples but one of them says, can I go back? Like, I've got family in town, and I want to go back and say goodbye to them and kind of tell them I'm going on this new journey. God's called me, and I'm going to follow Jesus, this rabbi throughout the countryside. He's healing people, and he's teaching. He's doing all these different things. And Jesus says something that sounds kind of mean in the moment. He says, don't go back. Anyone who goes back is not fit to be a part of the kingdom of God. And in the same way, Elijah's kind of echoing this. Jesus is echoing Elijah, rather, and saying, if this is what it's about, is your family being okay with how your gifts and God's passions align, you may always miss your purpose. You may miss out on the true part of what God has for you. And then in verse 21, Elijah is something radical. Now, for us, as you read the story, it may feel a little bit separated for you. And I've even asked the question, as I study passages like this, it's like, uh, I have an iPhone and I drive a car. I'm not sure how I connect with Elisha killing oxen and getting cloaks thrown over top of him. But in the next verse, we find out that Elijah, Elisha does something radical. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. His servant. What Elisha is doing here, you need to understand this. The scriptures don't put anything in there by accident. They want you to see something. They want you to learn something. And in this very moment, Elisha is setting fire to his past, and he's putting his feet to the future. He's setting fire of the things that maybe tripped him up. Maybe wealth was a trap for him. Maybe it's a trap for you. Maybe his, his calling or his achievement or how far he could get in the family business was kind of his marker of identity. Maybe that is for you too. But what Elisha does here is, is kind of a pattern for us all to follow when it comes to purpose. There's some things you just got to set fire to. Maybe for you that's an addiction. Maybe that's pornography. Maybe that's an addiction to entertainment or credit cards or spending or a new car every year. Whatever it is, whatever those things are that may be holding you up, you need to set fire to those. Maybe that's a harmful relationship. Maybe that's bondage that's come from past abuses. There's moments in which you can get healing, but sometimes you just need to set fire to the past. Just like Elisha does, saying, I'm kind of having a burn the ships moment. I'm not going back to the family business. I'm not going back to plowing with the oxen in the field anymore. I'm, I've followed God here, and I've seen his purpose for me as Elijah's transferred that to Elisha. But he does something else that in this society was so critical. See, he doesn't not go back to his family. Did you catch that? He, he gathers this. He slaughters oxen and then ends up going back to the family and sharing a meal with them. And in this society this would have been so key because your identity was wrapped up in your family and it doesn't just stay there and there's something I think if you're a parent in this room to learn from this story 
See, Elisha's parents could have kept him there because he was part of the family business. And in this collectivistic society, you are kind of the people that you're with. That's who you are. Elisha's stepping out, but his parents actually free him up to go. They don't stay, make him stay. They free him up to fulfill his God-given purpose. Maybe there's a situation right now, parents, with a kid in which it's like, man, I don't know if they have a God-given purpose. I don't, I don't know how they're going to find out what that is. But maybe it's time for you to free them up to find out, to, to let them explore their gifts and allow them at some point to align with God's passion, his heart for our world. I've shared with some of you uh, a couple months ago that uh, my family in my freshman year of high school decided to pack up and move to Baku, Azerbaijan. Now, it's okay. I can barely pronounce it either, so don't worry. That's not like a pop quiz later on. But in that first year of, of moving there, and we were only there my freshman year, but within that year, I remember having a very similar conversation with my dad over and over again. Kids, you know what this is like, right? You maybe ask the same things over and over again. It's like, hey, do you remember what I told you a few months ago? And this is kind of the same thing. I asked my dad a whole bunch because this was a pretty hostile country. It's one of the most restricted countries to Christianity. Only about less than a percent would say that they've heard the gospel and are following Jesus, maybe like you are. And so in this society, there was some incredible persecution going on. There were missionaries who'd come from America who were being kidnapped. There were people that who were found out to be a part of Christian churches held at knife point robbed, mugged, all these different things were part of these small underground churches that our family was serving. And it started to unnerve me a little bit. I'm the oldest kid in my family. And so I was like, I've got three younger siblings. I got to protect these. Like anytime my parents are gone, I just kind of took that role on. And I asked my dad the question, why, why don't, why doesn't God keep us safe? Like, why are all these other missionaries. It didn't happen to our family yet, but we had some crazy occurrences happen in which I just started to question, doesn't God want me to be safe? And my dad said something that challenged me. And he actually prayed it with us as kids. And he said, God, we don't pray that you'd make us safe. God, I pray that you'd make us dangerous for your kingdom. And I never forgot that. I never forgot that. And I think for many of us, purpose is kind of like that. It's like, how do I kind of maintain stability and, and comfort when God may be pushing you beyond that to explore? Where do your gifts and his passions align? Don't pray that God will make you safe. Don't pray that God will make your kids kind of normal and okay. Pray that God would make them dangerous for the kingdom of God. That Satan would be kind of afraid when your kid or your spouse walks in a room because you are equipped with the Holy Spirit. You are equipped with a real God-given purpose, and your gifts are aligning with that, even on a daily basis. And what I love about this story is that Elisha doesn't just let this purpose thing happen and then go off. But for a prophet, he knew that his purpose was primarily concerned with people. See, God's heart beats for people, not just to get his stuff done, not just to make you kind of afraid and fearful of your life, not to take your money or convince you to do things you don't want to do. But God's heart is for people. It's for you. And as you look at this story, you see that Elijah's purpose as a prophet was ultimately about God's people. And so maybe today you're a teacher. Maybe you're in a school environment. Your job is not to prepare lessons to teach well and to make sure grades are sent out on time. Your real job is to love students. 
Maybe you're a contractor or a builder or a carpenter, and your job may feel like it's worth your hands and with brick and mortar and with quotes and dealing with people and sales and all these different things, construction materials and all that. It could feel probably boring. You may fit perfectly into that 70% dissatisfaction rate with your job. Your job is not about buildings. It's not about tools. It's not even about the the actual thing, the product that you create. Your job is about creating environments for families and people to flourish and have full life. Maybe you're in the banking industry. Maybe you're in finance or have a background in accounting or something like that. Your job is not to crunch numbers and get people the best deal. Your job is to love the people that God gives you. Your purpose is to love them and help them to manage God's resources in the best way possible. As a pastor, I think about this, and maybe you've had pastors who shared this with you, but maybe you haven't. My job is not primarily just to preach a good sermon and to remember when you're going to the hospital. My job is to love people. I could preach the best sermon ever, and yet if God says in the scriptures, if I don't have love, I have nothing. My gift and and God's passions have to align for me to truly experience my purpose. So maybe you're interested in this. Maybe like my dad, maybe you've got some ways you want to challenge your kids. Maybe you are a student or a kid or a college student kind of figuring out life right now. Here's what I encourage you to do, and if you're taking notes, I want you to grab this so that you can work on this throughout the week with God's help, is this, that if you want to figure out your purpose and take steps towards it, here's what you and I will do. We will decide, we will continue to to learn and improve our gifts and know God's passions. We will learn how to get better at our gift. We'll learn how to be a better contractor. We'll learn how to be a better agent. We'll learn how to be a better student. We'll learn how to be a better volunteer or a parent or a spouse. And we'll also have a full-on awareness of God's passion. Some of you, that's where you need to start, is learning. What is God's passion? What is God's heartbeat for? What does he really care about? Where's my Elisha moment? Maybe what is he calling me to if his heart is really about people? What is he calling me unto? And you won't just learn and improve your gifts and know God's passions. Maybe for you, your next step, even today, maybe it's joining a small group. Maybe it's starting to give. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's just hanging out for welcome home lunch, which I am very excited about. Maybe it's one of those things. But for most of us, it's this. We simply need to take some time, maybe it's a few minutes today, maybe it's another point in your week, to write down your two or three gifts, and if you don't know them, ask somebody, say, hey, what am I good at? They're probably going to know if they love you enough to tell you. Write down two or three gifts and, and do some discerning work. Think critically about those gifts and learn to connect them to God's passions. So let's, let's play that out. So again, back to the idea if you're a teacher. If you're a teacher, your gift is preparing lessons, it's working with students, it's loving the kids in front of you. And a way to connect that to God's passion is knowing that God wants every single person to be in a life-giving relationship with him. And so maybe your job is to figure out, how do I take these things? And yes, I understand the political climate, I get it. But maybe it's figuring out, how do I take these things and how do I connect them to God's passion for students, for every single person to know Jesus loves them, is for them, and wants a real, authentic relationship with them. 
Maybe it's one of those. Maybe for you as a student, this is one I wish I had learned earlier, and I, and I didn't. I blew it the first like three years of my college career. I wish I'd understood that I'm not just doing assignments. I'm not just having a conversation with a prof. I'm not just kind of doing what I need to do so I get a degree and maybe get a good job out. What I'm doing right now is actually connecting my gifts, doing a paper, maybe public speaking, maybe connecting with other students, maybe being an RA. I'm connecting that to God's passion for every single person to have a changed life because of him. And so I'm going to work really hard to figure out, maybe I need to get some A's and I haven't. Maybe I need to figure out with some students how to connect them to God's word. Maybe for me, it's sharing my faith. Maybe for me, it's praying for a roommate. And I'm going to figure out how to take these gifts, these things that God has given me, and I'm going to learn how to connect them to God's passion for people, for their lives to be changed, to seize your lives unchanged by Jesus Mark Twain said this, and I want to close with this idea. Mark Twain said that the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day that you discover the reason why. That's purpose, friends. That's what it means to find out how do my gifts align with God's passions. But the converse is almost more scary. If we don't learn the reason why, if we don't live out and and try to figure out a way to connect these gifts to his passion, you and I will never know what it means to really be used by God. And that may sound kind of harsh, but he didn't give you things to hoard them. God hasn't given you abilities and skills and talents and kind of raw ability to connect with people or do sales or be a teacher. He has given you those things so that you connect them to God's passion. Because here's the thing, God, I don't know if you know this, but God does not have a plan B for this world besides you. You're God's plan A. You are the purpose that he has planted on this earth. He's given you those purposes so that you and I can live out his vision of seeing your lives unchanged by Jesus in our day, in our age. And I, and I know Jesus doesn't want that for you. I know if Jesus was here and, and through his spirit he is, but I know that if we were sitting across the table having a conversation with Jesus about your purpose, it wouldn't be that you would hoard the gift. Is that you would actually magnify and glorify and lift up the giver by connecting it to God's passions for the world. That's really what purpose is. Purpose is where your gifts align with God's passion. Maybe you're wondering, okay, I'm not sure who's coming up here, and I'm not going to put one of you on the spot and have a quick interview about purpose, but every one of us somewhere in this room, we have a chair, and maybe it's a, a couple rows behind you, Maybe it's right next to you, a chair that's empty, a chair that's not yet filled with someone who needs to know that God loves them and is for them and cares about them intimately, a person who maybe is trapped in bondage or addiction. Maybe for you, that's a family member. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a best friend. Maybe it's another student. Maybe it's the person that you don't really like to eat lunch with that somehow you always end up eating lunch with. Maybe it's one of those people. But I would encourage you, and this may be a little bit different, and that's okay. We're, we're good with different at the center. We're okay with different. We're willing to try some things. But during this next song, we're going to sing a song called Living Hope that really just kind of outlines the gospel story. That's all that re- it really is. It kind of points to what Jesus has done. I'm going to encourage you to do something unique. That during this next song, as I pray, 
that you would find an empty chair nearby and you would pray over that chair. You would imagine with me seeing God's purpose lived out in that person, seeing God's heart be revealed for that person, maybe even seeing them in that seat at some point in your life. And maybe you'll never see that. Maybe you'll never really experience the end of that. But you could be a a means to God's end by praying for that person. So I'm going to invite you to stand right now. I'm going to invite the band to come up right now. And we're literally just going to begin singing this song as we close. But I'm going to encourage you, find one of those chairs nearby. Maybe it's in front of you. Maybe you need to move and kind of reorient your space. Feel okay with that. But to think specifically about who is that person and how may God want to use my gifts and his passion to, to align so that I can experience my purpose and seize your lives unchanged. So I want to pray for us before we do and move into the song. So God, I'm, I'm praying really boldly right now. I'm asking more of you right now by praying that every one of us, as we pray over a chair, God, I pray that you would give us divine eyes to see the future like you see, to see people like you see them. That like Elisha, we wouldn't be content with just a job, but we would be bent on finding our purpose. And God, so often our purpose is wrapped up in loving people like you do. And so God, I pray that as hands are on chairs, as we even move around our physical space, God, I pray that you would break our hearts for the people that break yours. God, I pray that maybe the person that comes to mind first is an enemy, someone we really just don't like, someone who's hurt us, someone who's victimized us, someone who has abused us. God, I pray that your incredible supernatural forgiveness would flood our heart for those people. And that as we pray, we desire to see your purpose lived out in them. God, our hope is in you. We need you and we trust you. We really can't do this purpose thing without you. We want it to be about you. So God, fill our hearts with your spirit. Fill our lives with your love and compassion for people. We pray that in this moment, this time, you give us a heart to see that. In Jesus' name, amen.